Well, today, as we think about something super practical, we're going to think about this idea of how we see the work that we do. Did you know that uh, on average, adults work about 90,000 hours in their lifetime? I'm going to let that sink in for a second. I'm looking in the room. I'm trying to look if there's anybody excited about that. I'm trying to listen for some groans coming from over here, right? People, we work about 90,000 hours during our lifetime. How many of you feel like you've been on 90,000 hours of Zoom calls over the last couple of years? Anybody? Yeah, 90,000 hours is a long time. In fact, I saw a, a couple of graphics posted this week on Facebook. Take a look at this. If you were to, to distill your life down to a graphic... And if you were to live 90 years, that's sort of what it would look like in dot form, right? So that's that. So imagine that. Picture that. So if that's 90-year lifespan, that's what it looks like. Look, have a look at this next graphic. If you are to work from ages 20 to 65, I don't know if you can see that shading starting at the third row down, but that shading goes all the, almost all the way to the bottom. That's a visual of how much of our lives are spent at work. That's a long time. 90,000 hours. Essentially a third of our lives, a third of our lives is devoted to work. And here's what's interesting about that is most people don't love their work. Most of the time when you think about work, everybody's excited about Friday. I can't wait for Friday to come. Friday's here. And then when you talk to people before Monday, they're like, here comes another Monday. Are you all with me? You know what I'm talking about? Most people don't love Mondays. In fact, there's a stat from years ago. I used to hear this quoted a lot. I haven't done my own research to verify it, but the stat that I've heard over the years is that if you were to plot out on a, a, a week's spectrum, Monday through Sunday, that if you were to plot out heart attacks, that you actually see a spike on Mondays when it comes to heart attacks. That people, when they get ready for Monday, they don't think, oh, this is awesome. I get to go back to work again. Oh, this is great. I can't wait. That instead, anxiety sets in. That people lose sleep over the weekends. Their stress level goes up. And so when it comes to Mondays, they're not excited about Mondays. They're not looking forward to Mondays. They're like, oh man, I can't believe I have to go to work. What's interesting is that a lot of times at church, we talk about things like you should read your Bible every day. And absolutely, we should read our Bibles every day. And we talk about you should pray every day. And absolutely, we should pray every day. Uh, we talk about the idea of having gratitude and having a gratitude journal. And absolutely, we ought to do those things. But if you're to think about how much time those things take, for some people, it's five minutes. For some people, it's 15 minutes. For some people, maybe it's an hour at most of their day. But if we're not careful, we'll talk all day long about five minutes or 15 minutes or 50 minutes and we will neglect thinking about how we live and walk with Jesus the rest of our days. Does that make sense? If we're going to spend a third of our lives in the workforce, if we're going to spend 90,000 hours of our lives working, wouldn't it be powerful if we rethought Mondays and we begin to say, God, how do you see the work around me? Does that make sense? God, how am I to view and to believe and to show up? Because the way that we see our work determines how we show up to our work. So if we see it as a dread, as something to be dreaded, if we see it as something to be avoided, we're going to show up that way. But what if there's a different way to think about Mondays? And so I want to take just a couple of minutes today 
to talk at a practical level, how can we rethink the Mondays? For those of you that are in the workforce, man, I I hope this will be super practical, that you'll be able to go into Monday or whatever your start to the week is. I know not everybody's on Monday through Friday, but whatever that start is, that you'd be able to see it differently. For some of you, you may say, well, I'm retired, so this doesn't apply. But I guarantee you, these principles apply even in retirement. For others of you, maybe you're, you're young and you haven't started your workforce life yet. My hope this will lay a foundation. But uh, this morning, I just want to read a couple of verses that come right out of the beginning of the Bible. It comes from Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse Uh, 27. Genesis 1, starting in verse 27. This is literally at the beginning of the story. This is God uh, creating everything. And if you don't mind, if you're able to, I'd love for you just to stand for a moment as we read today's uh, foundation scripture. This is Genesis 1, starting in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. and the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this is literally the foundation of it all. Look at verse 28. So God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 21. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Verse 31. And God saw that he had made, uh, saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It wasn't just okay. It wasn't just, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning and the sixth day. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray today, if it would please you, that you would help us to rethink Mondays. Help us to apply your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So when it comes to Mondays with stress levels and heart attacks and, and uh, man, trying to get out of work, we need to rethink some things. And I want to just give you a simple way to do that. Three things that I think all of us can rethink when it comes to Mondays. And the first one is, number one, is we need to rethink our view of work. We need to rethink our view of work. I said just a moment ago, the way that we see it determines how we show up to it. And so the way we view work is a really big deal. Here's what the Bible says in Genesis 1, uh, right there in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. That word created, sometimes we go right past it. Sometimes we know these verses so well, we just keep moving. But that word created literally is God himself was working. So work isn't something that was just for mankind. Work wasn't just something that happened after sin entered into the world. God himself models work. In fact, God reaches into the dirt of the earth and he forms mankind. This is a really big deal because if you look at other religions in the world, other religions of the world, when they talk about their version of deity, their version of God, their God is distant and far off and unknowable, untouchable, unreachable. For their God to do any kind of work was seen to be with less dignity. But here's creator God himself giving getting dirt under his fingernails, creating everything that there is, including you and me. And so to start with, how do we view work? Well, number one is God himself works. 
God himself works. God created it himself. And what I found is a lot of times we have what I would call a faulty view of work. Let, let me give you a couple. If you're a note taker, I'd love for you to jot these down. These are also in our church app under message. But w- one of the ways that people view work is they see it as a gift. And honestly, this is awesome. When you work with somebody that sees work as a gift, that, that it's something they enjoy doing, they love their jobs, they love you know, being creative, they love you know, shaping resources. Uh, I mean, I, I love it when I see people that love what they do. Some people are people people, and they just love seeing other people smile. Some people love their spreadsheets and pivot tables, and God bless them. Uh, some people, you know, there's all kinds of things that people do, right? And so there are some people that see work as a gift. I think that's incredible, but honestly, I think this is the, the smallest percentage of the way people see work. I think it's amazing. You probably know people that see work as a gift and they're just a joy to be around, but that's not, maybe not, not the, the, the majority. A second way that we view work is often people see it as a curse. They see it as a curse. They, they see it as something that was tainted by sin. And so oftentimes the reference here is from Genesis 3. Here's what it says in Genesis 3. This is after sin enters into the world, right? This is after the fall has taken place. This is sin. And God shows up in Genesis 3, verse 17, and he talks to Adam, and he says, Because you listened to your wife, and you ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. This is part of the curse. I'm thinking this is where kale was first invented. Maybe. I don't know. If you've ever wondered, how do you eat kale? Step number one, pull out the trash can. Step number two, scrape it in there, right? It's not in my notes. I probably ought to stick to my notes. But anyway, so just want to be practical. He says in verse 18, it will produce thorns and thistles and you will eat of the plants of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken for dust you are and dust you are return. So this view of work sees work as starting in Genesis 3 and God says it's gonna be hard. But here's the truth, work existed before the fall. So work itself is not a curse. Yes, definitely on the other side of sin, it's harder, but it doesn't mean that it's all to be avoided. Does that make sense? It is not a curse. It is something that God himself created. And sometimes when people see work as a curse, they're disillusioned by it and, and, uh, and it gets twisted. A, a third way that people view work is they see it as an idol. These are the kind of people that, that get their sense of identity. They get their sense of meaning. They're, they, they can't separate themselves from their work. And so anytime you talk to them, they're always talking about what they've done at work and their title, their promotion, and all of these things. And so they have this unhealthy, I would say, drive where they're connected their identity with what they do. They're connecting who they are with what they do. Now, obviously, both of those matter. But if when work becomes an idol, it's where you can't separate from them and you end up finding just that sense of meaning and identity from your work. Now, if you look at those three, obviously, gift, that's a cool thing. Curse, that's unhealthy. Idol, that's dangerous. What if there's another way to see it? What if work is a calling? What if it's actually a gift? 
What if it's actually something that God himself did? What if it's actually something that God himself created and he invited us to do? And so if we're going to rethink Mondays, it starts with number one, rethinking how do I view it? What is my view of it? And just to do an inventory, right? Do I, do I see it as a blessing? Do I see it as a curse? Is it somewhere in between? So it starts with rethinking our view of work. But then secondly, we should rethink our vision of work. And when I say vision, I'm not just talking about our physical eyes. I'm talking about what is that thing that we see as the ultimate purpose of work? What is that thing that's bigger than just my task list and bigger than my job description and different than just, just what does my pay stub say? My vision of work is what is God's heart behind it? And so when you look at Genesis 1, it says in verse 28, God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve, who he created, and he said to them, so this is God giving them a job description. This is God giving them, hey, here's the one sentence that sums up what you're on this earth to do. He says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, chances are you've heard these verses before. Chances are you've heard them. You're familiar with them. You, you, a lot of times people know the first part very well. They're like, be fruitful and multiply, like increase in number. And I'm thinking that's the easiest part of the job description. I mean, just put you know humans together and that's going to happen, right? And so be fruitful and multiply. That part, uh, I think it's the easy part. The harder part is where he says, and subdue it. The picture here is that God created everything and it was good. But the imagery here is it was created, it was good, but it was still unformed. In other words, God created the raw materials. God created the earth and it was great. And then he invites human beings to fill the earth with other people that worship God and follow him and form it and to shape it into something useful. Does that make sense? And so not only do we learn when we rethink our view of work that God himself works and God models work, God gets dirt underneath his fingernails. When we rethink our, our vision of work, our vision of work is that God commissions us to join him in his work. So the, people like me sometimes are guilty, preacher types are guilty of acting like there's a divide between secular work and sacred work. Right? Sometimes people think, well, Bobby, you know, my work isn't all that great. You know, you're a pastor. You get to help people. You serve on a staff. And, and sometimes people make a distinction between sacred work and secular work. Here's the truth. That divide does not exist in Scripture. It doesn't exist. There is no distinction. Hear me. There is no distinction between sacred and secular work in God's economy. The all work is partnering with God to fill and deform the earth. Does that make sense? I see some skeptics in the room. <laughs> but this is absolutely true. In fact, when you think about the word work, most of you probably know this, the Old Testament wasn't written in English, right? So most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And anytime you try to translate a word from one language to another language, it's hard to always find the perfect word because there's so many ranges of meaning. And that's true of this word work as well. So the, the word work here 
is a Hebrew word that transliter- transliterated into English sounds like this, avadah, avadah. So on the count of three, everybody just try avadah. One, two, three, avadah. Awesome. Well done. And so this Hebrew word avadah is the word that we usually translate as work. But what's interesting is it has a range more than just that one simple word. Let me give you a couple of examples from the Old Testament. One example comes from Exodus 34 verse 21. Here's what it says in Exodus 34, verse 21. It says, six days you shall work. And the word there in Hebrew is avadah. So we got it. It's work. But look at this next example from Exodus. Exodus 8, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship avadah me. And so sometimes it references work, not just as working, but as worship. Now look at Joshua 24, verse 15. Again, this is, these are just examples from the Old Testament, but Joshua 24, verse 15 says, But as for me and my household, we will serve Avadah the Lord. It says we're th- rethinking our, our view of work. Is it a curse? Is it a blessing? Is it, is it something to be avoided or is it a gift? We need to rethink our vision of work. And the biblical vision of work is that work is actually vocation. Work is actually worship. And, and, and work is actually service, that the vision God has for work is we get to partner with them and we get to bring service to the world, we get to bring our vocation to the world, we get to bring worship to the world. And this is super powerful. So let me show you these three real quick underneath the second idea of our vision. Uh, first, let's think about work as worship. A lot of times when people think about worship, they think about the songs that we sing at church. They don't think about the rest of of their week. But there's something powerful when we see work as worship, where we see this, not just a horizontal connection with the people we work with or the things that we do, but when we begin to see this vertical connection between our Heavenly Father. That when we begin to see that when we work, we can work in a way that worships our Heavenly Father. I was talking to a buddy of mine just a few days ago. And he said that when he first started at his company, his tendency was to think, is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? Is this the profession I want to be in? Is this the vocation I want to be in? And uh, he found himself thinking, well, what's the next job and what's the next promotion? And he said, but then one day it dawned on me that if I view work that way, there's always going to be stuff to do. But the real gift is the people I get to do it with. And he began to say, wherever I work or whatever I do, it dawned on me that I can be a blessing to the people around me. And I thought, that's powerful. That's powerful. And so one way for us to have a vision of work is to see work as worship. A lot changes when we see it that way. A second way to think about it, our our vision of work is to see work as a vocation. And what vocation talks about is, is we have a sense of calling, that we, even in the most mundane job, if you're just doing the same thing over and over again, to find some sense of meaning in it, some sense of fulfillment in it, to, to see it as some way to find purpose and to take the skill and the ability and the, and the gifting that God has given us and to begin to put it to work. I love what First Thessalonians 4 says. It says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as you're told so that your daily life may win the respect, listen to this, may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. In Greek culture, work, man, especially physical kind of work was seen as a low thing and scripture elevates it and says, man, as you work, you can find calling and meaning. A third way to see it and to view it is to see work as service. 
when you see work as service, as a way of blessing other people, that when you connect work in a way that you're able to build other people up. David Bruce uh, Hedgeman said it this way in his book. He says, God cares not only about redeeming souls, but also about restoring his creation. He calls us to be agents, not only of his saving grace, but also of his common grace. Our job is not only to build up the church, but also to build a society to the glory of God. As agents of God's common grace, we are called to help sustain and renew the creation, to uphold the created institutions of family and society, to pursue science and scholarship, to create works of art and beauty, and to heal and to help those suffering from the results of the fall. Man, that's a beautiful vision of work that I get to join God in reshaping the world. I have a buddy of mine that uh, years ago, uh, he was working in a, at a company that had 13 different divisions, and his boss came to him and said, I want to put you in charge of the lowest of the 13, the least profitable, the one that's in the hole. I want to put you in charge of that 13th division. Do you think you can turn it around? And my buddy was like, well, if it's already the lowest, uh, the only way up, you know, the only way is up. And so he's like, yeah, I can turn around. And so his boss asked him, well, how long do you think it would take you? And he just picked a number out of the air. He said, I think it'll take me about three years to turn this lowest, least performing division around. And so he signed up for the job, got the job in charge of the least performing division in their uh, multi-million dollar company. And so uh, he turned it around. In fact, instead of it taking three years he turned it around in 18 months. And it went from being number 13 out of 13 to becoming the most profitable. It went from the bottom of the totem pole to being the number one uh, division in their company. And so his boss was blown away. And my buddy, went once he turned it around, he got the biggest bonus check he had ever received. And the bonus check was actually bigger than his annual salary. Think about that. His boss was like, I almost don't even want to write this to you, but he had to, right? He, he, he performed, he did it. And so my buddy took that check home, largest check he's ever received in his life, gets home. His wife greets him. He's, he's ready, he's excited. I went from number 13 to being number one. I've got the biggest bonus check, bigger than my annual salary. And his wife said to him, we need to talk. And they sat down in the living room, and she was, she was polite. She's like, I'm so grateful for how hard you work and how you provide for our family. But our daughters are all teenagers right now, and you're never home. You've been traveling more. You've been working more hours. You never take vacation. And when you do go on vacation, you're still working, checking your phone, doing all this stuff. And she said, I'm so grateful that you provide and you work hard, but we need you to be present I feel like I'm a single parent. And in that moment, his vision for work changed. Are you all tracking with me? So if we're going to rethink Mondays, it starts with number one, rethinking our view of work. How do I view it? Number two, rethinking our vision. Do I have a vision that's compelling? Do I have a vision that says I get to join God in what he's doing? And then the third practical thing is to rethink our values of work. What are the things that we value? And so I told you from Abadah, we've got this picture of three different things. Work is worship, work is vocation, work is service. Those three are really powerful. In fact, we've got a graphic that shows when you get those three right, Abadah's 
right in the middle. You've got the sense of worship. I get to glorify God in what I do. Vocation, I find meaning and fulfillment. Service, I get to bring good to the world around me. Those three together are powerful. But the hard part is staying in balance. In fact, here's what happens if we're not careful. When we get two of the three right, if you get worship and vocation together, but there's no sense of service with it, we are in danger of what I would call careerism. Where, yes, maybe, uh, you know, we're worshiping God in our work and, we're, and we feel a sense of calling and drive towards it, but if we're not careful, we're not connecting it with service so our work isn't contributing to the good of the world around us. And that's careerism. A second version of imbalance is what I'd call activism, where you've got a sense of vocation, you've got purpose and meaning, and it's connected to serving other people. But if you don't connect it to the work of God on this earth, it may be good work, but it's, it's missing a piece of the ingredient. It's activism, where it's good for good's sake and not actually connected to God's vision of what he's trying to do. A third imbalance is where we uh, see work as worship. We've got this vertical connection. We've got, we see work as service, but we don't feel called to it. There's no sense of, man, this is what I'm born to do. There's no sense of, man, this is what I'm on the planet to do. This actually leads to exhaustion. We're well, doing a lot of good, but it's not connected to the soul of who you are. And you end up just out of gas and burn out. And so the power is when we get all three together. Right? The power is when you put Avada back in the middle and you see it as worship, as vocation, and service. And so here's how I want to close it. I want to give you some questions to think about. One of the things that I'm convinced of that I haven't done a good job of is thinking about what is my own theology of work? Have you ever thought about what is your value that you see in work? Let me just bust through these real quick. Question number one. Uh, I would love for you maybe to spend some time journaling this over the next week or so. What drew you to your work? What is the thing that drew you to your work? There's something that got you to say yes to it. Uh, there's something. Uh, be honest about it. What was it? Was it some ideal or was it, honestly, I just need a paycheck? Number two, what do you love about your work? What is that thing that when you do it, it's easy that you think, man, this is not a big deal, but it's harder for the people around you. What is it that you love to do? The third question is, what do you hate about your work? What is that thing that you're like, man, if I have to do that again, I, you know, you just dread it, right? Is it that report? Is it that thing? Is it that meeting? Number four, and this has been a weak part in a lot of people's lives, is what scriptures help shape how you see your work? Again, a lot of times we think of work as secular or sacred. And, and so when you, when you don't work at a church, you're tempted to think, well, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about what I do. Honestly, most of the people you see in Scripture work secular jobs. Joseph or Daniel. or I mean, the list goes on and on, right? There's people that, and so we can ask that question. Here, here's another question. What are the ethical tensions of my work? In other words, instead of waiting till something comes across your desk to ahead of time think, man, are there some things that my work does that creates an ethical tension? Here's another question. What can I do to create or release beauty through my work? So if I'm joining God in the renewal of all things, if God has commissioned me as a coworker to help bring beauty to the world, what can I do to bring beauty into the world? Here's another question. What can you do to resist brokenness in your work? Again, if we're partnering with God and wherever Jesus went, he brought healing and wholeness. How can I resist the brokenness that I have 
that I see in the world around me through my work. And let me give you one more question. This question is really thought-provoking for all of us. If Jesus did my job for 30 years in obscurity, meaning that nobody, this is what Jesus did. Jesus worked for 30 years before we ever saw him start his public ministry. If Jesus did my job for 30 years in obscurity, how would he do it? I think that's a powerful question. How would he do it? How would he show up? How would he treat the people around him? How would he handle those reports and those details? What would Jesus do if he had my job? And then how do I do it? How do I do it? If these questions are helpful, we've put together a Rethinking Monday worksheet that's available absolutely for free on our website. If you want to, you can just go to sugarhill.church slash Monday, or you can simply text the word Monday to our number here at the church, seven, our, our app number, 770-749-7559. If you go to that link, or if you text for that link, all you have to do is drop in your name and your email address, and you'll get a downloadable PDF of these questions, plus four more that I think are super helpful when it comes to Rethinking Monday. This week, I was reading about that first time we, man, landed on the moon. I mean, chances are you can hear some of those old recordings that says Houston, Tranquility Base here, the eagle has landed. A lot of us can recall Armstrong's words. What was it? One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, right? What's interesting is that on that same mission was Neil Armstrong and also Buzz Aldrin. And one of the little-known things is that Buzz Aldrin actually was convinced that he wanted to be the first person to step on the moon. He knew how monumental that moment was going to be. He knew what that meant in the history of mankind. And so he was convinced, I'm going to be the first one out. And so there was tension among the ship there. There's tension on that mission where, where actually... Uh, Neil Armstrong said, no, I, I'm the outranking officer. I'm the, I'm the highest ranking officer on this mission. So I am going to be the first person on the moon. And so what ends up happening is Armstrong steps out. He says those famous words. Uh, Buzz Aldrin joins him on the moon. The, the president calls him and congratulates them while they're on the moon. But one person that we rarely talk about is the third person on the mission, Michael Collins. Michael Collins was left aboard the spacecraft. And his job was to keep orbiting while they explored the moon. And his job was to capture them and bring them back on board. Did his mission matter? Absolutely. But essentially, if you were to boil it down, he is the Uber driver of the moon. <laughs> Nobody quotes him. Nobody talks about him. It's either Armstrong or Aldrin. And yet, in later interviews, you never hear Michael Collins complain. He never pulls the victim card. I, I traveled over 200,000 miles. I was just right there. He never pulls the victim card and says, man, I trained my whole life. I wanted to be an astronaut just like these guys. I wanted to go. He never does that. Instead, what he did say, and I'm paraphrasing, is all three of our jobs were essential for a successful mission. And he recognized that even if he wasn't in the spotlight, his mission mattered. Can you imagine what would happen if instead of treating those 90,000 hours like a curse, we begin to triangulate, what would happen if I treated work like worship? 
And what if I connected it to some sense of calling, something I'm meant to do on this earth, and that somehow I can join God in worship and vocation and serve the people on the planet? I'm telling you, that kind of vision helps me get up on Mondays. Can I pray for us this morning? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your goodness, and we're so grateful that you invite us into doing meaningful things. God, I pray for all of us that whether our tasking seems mundane or if our job seems unbelievably big, that you'd help all of us, myself included, to connect our work to your view of work, that we would have a bigger vision for our work, and that as we value the things we get to do, that we would see this connection to worship, we'd see this connection to vocation, and we'd see this connection to service. God, I pray for every single person that dreads whatever their start of the week is, that maybe, just maybe, this week you'd help them to rethink it in light of you. Father, we give today to you. We thank you that we get to partner with you in the renewal of all things. Help us to do it well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's been such a joy to be with you. I hope you'll make plans to join us next Sunday as we kick off summer in Sugar Hill with all the fun things between services. It's a great time to meet folks. But if you don't mind, let's stand together. Pastor Zach, if you don't mind, would you sing us out of this place? I think it's so powerful when we get to sing on our way out the door. We love you guys. We're so grateful to get to serve with you. God bless. So I will praise you on the mountain. I will praise you when the mountains in my way. You're the summit where my feet are. I will praise you in the valleys all the same. You're no less God within the shadows. No less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Have a great rest of your week.